Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour. Joining me in the studio are Richard Uden and Louise Torres. Fellas, how we doing tonight? Very good, thank you. Pretty good, for once. After work. <laughs> for once after work, yeah. So, hey man, be happy you're working, other people aren't. <laughs> people are working from home and can't get away from their kids. Um, anyway, um, our uh, weekend uh, of no racing continue. Um, it looks like we will have some NASCAR racing in May um, with several races at two different tracks. Looks like we're actually going to get a Coca-Cola 600 in um, to kick, you know, for for our to make some normalcy out of our month of May. But um, you know, at the end of the day. The month of May without the um, Monaco, Indianapolis, Charlotte just won't be the same. Uh, I think uh, Monaco is canceled for good. Indy's postponed till till August. Um, you know, NASCAR is going to do some races without fans. That won't seem the same either. Uh, probably limited media. So, I mean, our our planned show uh, was the month of May extravaganza to kick off the month of May. We should have been talking about the. Indianapolis Grand Prix coming up, and um, uh, the Formula One season that th- th- should have been well underway, but uh, instead, we'll we'll turn to the past again as we have the last uh, couple of weeks, and we'll relive some of our favorite memories of races that were held uh, in May at Indianapolis and at Monaco and at Charlotte. So, but first, the uh, racing news of the week. I don't know if uh, Luigi had a chance to. Uh, See the I race. Uh, Seth is our big I race guy, but uh, Lando Norris went from uh, one week um, praising the IndyCar guys to, to the next week trashing them, um, and that's a story that's gained a lot of traction. Um, Lando Norris taken out by Simon Pagano, and then um, just really said some disparaging things on social media that's been going back and forth, and then uh, the other one involved in the big. Last lap crash coming to the line was Santino Ferrucci, who took the leaders out, um, opening the door 
for Ask Was it Ask You the one? Yeah, no. Yeah. No, it was or, not Ask You. It was Scott McLaughlin. Oh, that's right, McLaughlin. Yeah, and, McLaughlin yeah. one. See, I can't even remember. There were so many cars crashing in the last three laps. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was just. So. It was a mess. It's just be. It would look like at one point it was going to be Marcus Erickson that was going to win the Impato Award, turn him around, and that gave the it was going to be advantage Pato, but but because of the contact, it gave Oliver Askew, Pato's teammate and the reigning Indy Lights champion, the lead. That Santino Ferruzzi pretty much did a stock car move, shades of Carl Edwards and Brad Keselowski, a gateway almost a decade ago, believe it or not. Send them up in the air, and then out of nowhere, it caught me by surprise when I was watching the race and Twitch streams live. All I heard, a Connor Daly shot, he got second. I was like, Connor Daly got second out of this? Out of nowhere. Especially in a car. It was a Carlin car, not the Ed Carpenter machine, but a Carlin, the 31, that he'll run the remaining race that he was not assigned on the ECR machine. Equipped stuff and all that. But the biggest frustration... Yeah, but I mean, well, I mean, the the... Fact that it's an I race, there's a lot more parity in there than saying he's in a Carlin car versus a a um, yeah carpenter car. Don't don't you think? Yeah, it's just usually I'm on top of things when I look at the entry list. I know which team they're representing and whatnot. The that one glossed, I completely glossed that he was not driving the carpenter car, but a Carlin with the colors and the numbers because that's what essentially it is: the number, the colors, and whatnot, and how the experience they got on I racing, but. What looked like the frustrating aspect of that whole thing is like the IndyCar Challenge, it was smooth sailing, no drama, little to no drama at all. And then all in the last couple laps with Santino and then Lando Norris and Simon Pagano, it killed the vibe. It just destroyed it. It was like everything that I really enjoyed on the IndyCar side compared to NASCAR all went under in just a few laps, which was really discouraging because – they put on a heck of a show. They seemed like they un- everything flowed well, seamlessly. Whereas NASCAR is all over the place with certain regulations and who's happy and who's not happy and vice versa. And then all of that happened. It's just it is uh, looking at social media. It caused a further divide with the IndyCar and Formula One fans that has kind of been had that bad stick. But for years, unfortunately, and I think to myself, yeah. It's a sim racing. Some people say it's a video game. Others will say it's sim racing for a realistic aspect. Some just don't care. But it's- yeah, well, that's the, that's the other argument people are fighting about. You've got guys saying, "Oh, don't make such a big, don't make a big deal. It's just a game." And then, then these folks that actually participate in i racing are really up in arms, saying, "What do you mean, just a game? It's a simulation." <laughs> so, so we've got folks arguing that, you know, folks arguing um, that Santino should be kicked out of the series. And then other people said, "Oh, but it's just a game. He wouldn't have done that in a real race." And, and you know, it, admittedly. Some of those moves that you saw there, you would not see those in a real race. Oh. You may see some similar moves there, but um, I, I don't know. To me, like you said, the whole thing left a bad taste in my mouth, and I'm just ready for some real racing. Oh, no doubt. I've been waiting for it for the longest of time. Like Once we get back going where crowds are allowed, that will be at its purest form. But at this moment, without crowd, at least we'll get something sooner than later, and that's what matters. Right, right. Something it'll be a little, little more. It'd be better to watch than the the simulation. We'll, we'll see. You know, we'll we'll hear actual motors. You know, we'll we won't be able to get to the the track and smell the actual 
burning rubber and and, uh. and fuel, but uh, at least it'll 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 feel like some sort of normalcy is back to uh, the racing world, even if we're racing on Wednesday nights and and those sort of things. There, it's be better than nothing. So, now with that being said, again, let's let's look at the past. Let's let's talk about the month of May because those three venues, Monaco, Indianapolis, and Charlotte, have all produced some very memorable races. Uh, you know, obviously. Every single one of them is significant because of the significance of the event. Um, and uh, so, Richard, why don't you just pick one of your favorite uh, races at the either Monaco, Indianapolis, or Charlotte, and uh, just go ahead and kick off our conversation. I am going to start with Formula One, surprisingly enough. And I'd have to go for the uh, 1996 um Monaco Grand Prix, which was won by Olivier Panis, uh, his only race win. Uh, in fact, there was only three finishes to that race, I believe, from what I can remember. And uh, they were, it's a torrential rain. Um, Damon Hill's sort of dominant season at the start of the season anyway, until Jacques Villeneuve really got up to speed. And uh, yeah, he, he, Damon was sort of miles ahead, a lap ahead of something at one point of the race. And then um, he sort of, uh, I think he had an engine failure. And, uh, yeah, Panis sort of came through and and won it at the end, really. And uh, it was an amazing race of attrition at at that race. And, uh, yeah, you know, typical Monaco throwing up some, uh, some shock results, especially when it rains out there. Great race, though. Really good. Yeah, Monaco has a history of, of producing... Some interesting winners, and we'll get to some more of that in a while. Also has a history of, uh, you know, certain guys that just have a knack for the place. Uh, when, when you consider Graham Hill won there, what, six times? And then, then Schumacher won numerous Monaco Grand Prix, yeah. as well as um, Hamilton has won numerous. Um, he's just figured the place out um, because it's a very, very difficult track to master. It's very, it's very unforgiving. It's very narrow. Um, there's very few places to pass, and um, of course you can end up in the harbor, as happened, uh, I believe, twice. Uh, <laughs> not recently, but um, once in the 50s and once in the 60s. I think we had a car actually leave the track and have to yep. be yeah. pull, pulled out pulled out of the harbor. Yeah. So, uh, Louise, you have a Charlotte, Indianapolis, or Monaco uh, story you want to contribute here? I say let's continue on with. Mo- with Monaco, I've got to go with the first one that I saw on TV, which was the 2004 race. And boy, the story, the narrative of that 2004 season is just simply Michael Schumacher dominating. That you, it's going to take a whole, it's going to take a lot, a lot to stop him. And lo and behold, a mistake, and Juan Pablo Montoya plowing in him under the safety car period knocked Michael Schumacher's out of the race in a bit of an undefeated season. Because going into that race. Nobody could stop him. He won every one of them. But this take, there were some takeaways of that race that I still remember that drew interest for me because I didn't solve the thing live at 7 a.m. East Pacific time because I was, what was it, a, a kid, so I would not be able to wake up that early. I was too into the 04 Indy 500. But since it was rain delayed and it was short, and I said, like, oh, they're rearing Monaco. I'm going to go give it a look. And I was thinking, this place is just a it's, a, it's just attrition and madness. And at the time, I was thinking, that's unique. That's interesting. And no doubt the best drive that Yarnold truly had ever had in his entire career happened in that day. He won from the pole. 
that was probably his best drive he had because after that race, John truly was never the same. Honestly, again, his performances with Renault was regressing horrendously to the point that he didn't even finish out the season. They kicked him out in favor of Jack Villeneuve to wrap up 04, only for Villeneuve to be replaced by Fisichella, who flipped over. Yes, during the, it was like the second lap around their safety car, they, there was a huge puff of smoke, and then out of nowhere, Fisichella was upside down, and David Coulthard, which it needs to be said, that was just a real bad year for him in the McLaren, and it kind of showed that his, to a fall, overstate his welcome in McLaren at that point, but Who's to say who would have known that Montoya was going to move up to McLaren at that point? So, so judging by how he did, it was just not the brightest season he had compared to the previous years. Especially, it's been a, he was at the shell of a former self phase of his Formula One career. That in the '04 kind of started that whole thing, but it was just a crazy race. And I said, well, got to tune in for Monaco from the, here on out. because there's no way I will be missing a Monaco Grand Prix. Sure, the races sometimes. Day it gets too strong out. It could be a Mercedes runaway, but you never know. With certain races, they're either on it or off. Whoever's the dominant car or team at that time period, and some other team nails it, they're gonna nail it really well. It's proven like with Pattis with Ligier or truly with Renault. You'll have those moments. It's just the unpredictably nature of Monaco, and, and like with that race officially canceled for this year, it's gonna sing quite a bit not to see. A Formula One race, the biggest Formula One race. Fortunately, we still have Silverstone. Am I correct? We still have Silverstone, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. At the moment, anyway. Yeah. At the moment, yeah. I, I believe they're that. talking Silverstone without fans, too. So. And also talking potentially Silverstone backwards as well for a second race. For a second race, yeah. I think they're looking at the, the NASCAR model where they're not not going to have to travel as far. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Get, get a few more, a few more races in. So I mean, you could have a whole Formula One World Championship in the UK. Yeah, yeah. All the teams are based there, you know, save save for those, you know, Ferrari guys. And, uh, and Alpha, I think and, sure, and, and, and what's that now? Uh, Alpha, 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 Alpha team. Yeah. Alpha. No, the no, the, oh yeah, Sauber and uh, whoever Toro Rosso are now. Alpha Tori and Alpha Rivero with yeah, yeah, yeah. Toro Russell being the Alpha Tori today. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't keep up with all the name changes. You know, I just <laughs> still want to call them Minardi. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so for me, there's a lot of Monaco Grand Prix that stick out in my head uh, because actually the first Formula One race I ever watched was a Monaco Grand Prix, and um, my uncle had bought this brand new invention at the time that that. Uh, uh, it cost him like a thousand dollars. Called radio. Were, no, it, no. <laughs> it's no, it no. It was a v, it was a VCR. There we go. As he had one of the first people I knew that owned a VCR, and you could record television programs. I watched them over and over again. And the 1978 um, Grand Prix of Monaco was uh, one of the first things he taped. And um, my God, I watched that thing over and over again. I I became an instant fan of Formula One after watching that. Um, yeah, and this is this is the same season that we had, we ended up with Mario winning the championship. Uh, it was Depayet that uh, that won at Monaco. But I, I really want to talk about the '82 race. The '82 race was was sometimes known as the race nobody wanted to win or nobody seemed to want to win. Uh, it was it was it was very interesting, and the 
the last several laps, there were so many changes of events. Uh, but, but to start out, um, the uh, the Renault cars um, swept the front row. Red A. Arnoux uh, took the pole position. His uh, teammate, Alan Prost, uh, there along beside him. And um, Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Arnoux led quite handily from the beginning until, until about mid-race. He, he uh, had, had a little little excursion there, um, got sideways, hit the wall. Uh, Prost took over the lead, and then Prost led handily for a while until he uh, he pushed it too hard, ended up in the um, ended up in the barriers here with just a few laps to go. I believe it was two laps to go, and then it started to rain. It started to rain a little bit, so Ricardo Patrese, who was driving for Brabham at the time. Inherits the lead, and he just got two laps to cruise on, or like a lap and a half, lap and a half now at at this point in time, to just cruise on to the checkers and take a win. Um, and he spins in the rain and gets it high sided. Um, he gets his on the on the on the barrier on the corner. He gets the the, the rear, rear wheels are up, so he's got no traction. Now he's stuck. So this should have handed the lead to. Didier Peroni. Didier Peroni is uh, going through the tunnel. He goes in the tunnel and never comes out. Runs out of fuel in the tunnel. Now, this then would, would should have handed the lead to Andrea de Chasseris, who also runs out of fuel. So now we have um, a car that was a lap down just, just a bit ago, Derek Daly, is suddenly in position to win. And he's uh, a few corners from, from getting to the front side of the track when his gearbox fails. Now, in, in the meantime, the, the BBC commentators, uh, the commentary team being led by a certain Mr. James Hunt, uh, James Hunt is there and he says, well, now we've got this ridiculous situation where we're waiting for a winner to come by to the line and we don't seem to be getting one. Um, in, in the meantime, the marshals had pushed Patrese off of the curbing. He was able to bump start the car and kind of just uh, finish the lap there, cruise on. Um, he, he actually has no idea that uh, nobody else has made it to the finish line yet. And he's, he's feeling very dejected. Uh, he's thinking he had the race win in his hand, and he threw it away. And, and as he's driving, he notices that people are waving and cheering and he says, oh, I guess they just feel feel bad for me. They're happy happy that I got going again, right? And he gets, uh, you know, he, he pulls, you know, finishes the lap, pulls into his pit, and, and he's greeted by all these cheers and pats on the back, and, and he's wondering, what the heck, what the heck? And they say, you won! 
and he had no idea he had won. He thought he had thrown it away. Um, so I thought that was uh, just a very interesting turn of events there at, at the end of the race. And um, it, you can still find that one on YouTube with the full BBC uh, commentary uh, and listening to just, just the... James uh, Hunt was ecstatic about it, wasn't he? Yes, yes. Him and, uh, his, him and Mr. Petrazi were not particularly good friends. <laughs> no. No, Ricardo. Yeah, Ricardo got a little bit of a bad rap in the seventies. There were there were a lot of folks that kind of blamed him um, for for the Ronnie Peterson accident. And that's in my mind that was a bit unfair. That really, the the folks at fault for for Ronnie Peterson are the the starter uh, yeah. who you know waved the flag. But the real uh, the real villains in the um, Ronnie Peterson story is the 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 marshals and the the medical care. The shoddy medical care that he received. Well, they wouldn't um, let the doctor pe- to the car, would they, to start with? Right, right. And then, then even in the hospital, he received some pretty shoddy care and misdiagnosis. And because uh, Peterson never should have died. No. The, that those were not uh, life-threatening injuries, but uh, it was the shoddy medical care and the, and the lack of quick medical care where they had they literally he was Peterson was laying on the track. And they wouldn't let the doctor through because the the you know in Italy, it's a, a race crash is considered a crime scene. But they wouldn't let the doctor through to get to the injured driver who's laying on the ground with his legs legs twisted. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I, I mean to to blame Patrese for any of that is just uh, awful. Although in the in the later years, uh, you know Patrese ended up winning a few more races. Um, and and having a nice run with Williams as a teammate to Mansell, and he pretty much um, this day and age he's pretty pretty well respected. Yeah. But uh, but but back then not quite so much. Yeah, compared to the other driver that made it that ran that many races, Patrese's at the center. Patrese actually back, backed it up. But to the, to the be fair with on, on Andrea, he did have some some brilliance with qualifying like Long Beach comes to mind or in Monaco. Just imagine. Had he won that thing, who did Jasseris? Yeah, yeah. Ima- imagine had he won that race, and just the thought of that and James thinking about it would probably not been bode well. Uh, or unless this, no, it was around that time where his driving was starting to be questioned by Hunt, right? Uh it was. Oh, Hunt would question any anything that moved. I think, wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, Jasseris was uh, he he was uh, prior to that he was teammates with. Um, John Watson at um, McLaren before they hired uh, Prost, I believe, and they they said they knew that the MP4 chassis was strong. This was again the first carbon carbon fiber carbon fiber monocoque uh, in Formula One, and they said they knew that it was strong and can withhold crashes because of DeChastres crashed it so often. <laughs> so, they, so, they, so they had all the confidence in the world that the thing could hold up in a crash. Matter of fact, his nickname was DeCrasherist, yeah. if you recall. Yeah. Um, of course, you're not old enough to recall, but if, you, if you've read about it. But, yeah, then the other guy who could have won there in that scenario, Derek Daly, you know. Could you imagine if Derek Daly had had a Grand Prix win at Monaco to his credit? You know, he might. So, I don't know. It's just, it's very, very interesting turn of events at that race. So, um, now, when do you guys want to, you want to continue with a few more Monaco's? We'll just do them in order that that they are on TV, Monaco, Indianapolis, and, uh, Uh, I mean, there's the other one, the the famous Monaco race 84, where, uh, where, you know, Senna should have won, uh, but Alan Prost had them, uh, stop the race early. I think it was 84, wasn't it? 
Yeah, 84. 84 was raining yeah. horribly, and it was uh, Seno, or Seno was in the rookie. Tolman. And the Tolman was, was yeah. gaining on Prost at, a, at an alarming rate. Yeah. At an alarming rate. But, mm-hmm. but what people don't realize, and I, I may be wrong when I say this, but I think Lauda was gaining on Senna as well, wasn't he? I think I, I, everybody makes it, and I, I did read a, you know, a, a report on this race, and um, you know, I, I haven't looked at the timing of it or anything like that, but a lot of people did say, well, you know, when they called the race, yes, Senna was gaining on Prost, but Lauda was also gaining on Senna. Now, I, I, I say I haven't looked at the timings of it to be able to, uh, to clarify that, but uh, that was always the... Uh, you know, comments yeah, I, people started to make about it. Because everybody said, oh, it was the Senna race and all this sort of stuff, which it, it undoubtedly was, made his name. But there was also, uh, you know, his uh, louder was catching uh, Senna as well. Yeah, I think it's well, so, so they were both catching Prost. Prost was slowing down. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing about it all is, is uh, uh, the race marshal was, at that time, Jackie Eakes, right? And Jackie Eeks was the guy that, that made the call to pull the trigger and red flag the race before half distance. And then again, then that was at the request of Prost's team begging them to stop the race. Now, as, as it turned out, since they stopped before half distance, they awarded half points. So Prost got four and a half points for the win rather than, than the nine. Had he they went full distance and Senna passed him and he finished second, he would have gotten six points for second place and he would have won the championship at the end of the year seeing as how he lost the championship to Lauda by a half a point so that's I mean that's always kind of the the the, the what if scenario there you know pros could be a six-time world champion instead of just a five just a five time oh. you know so <laughs> and I think you could attribute with Lauda being catching Senna and pros it's because not just that he has the power and the experience obviously Senna had a, a Tolman that you can just say is a complete night and day difference as far as speed and reliability. But when is there so much you can do in the in the rain that it? I think if I remember, it makes it the ultimate equalizer. Had that distance gone on, that would have been some battle between Senna and Lauda. I would have, I would, it would have been one of those another one as how epic would have been between those two guys, because it would have been a passing of the torch kind of race for sure. No, and well, as it turns out, it was. I mean, it's the one that that puts Senna on the map. Yeah. You know, it's it's he would have been noticed anyway in the Tolman eventually, um, but but that that kind of uh, to to be up there in second place in a in a car that started pretty pretty well back in the grid. Senna was, you know, had passed a number of cars in the rain during the race as well. So uh, so we all knew that uh, we all knew then at that moment that Senna was something special. Certainly. And any other Monaco's we want to talk about, Louise or Richard? I don't think so. I mean, you could go on about all of them, couldn't you? But uh... certainly you can, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. there there have been some really interesting ones there. So, well, let's talk about Indianapolis 500 then, because that's usually after we've watched Monaco and eaten our breakfast in the media center. Um, then it's time for the Indy 500, all the, the pomp and circumstance of a, you know, a race that it's really, it's kind of mind-boggling that it's not going to be held in May for the first time since uh, the war, you know, since 1945. Um, it was supposed to be the first race under the new uh, Roger Penske ownership of the track. As it turns out, it gives them 
you know, more time to work on the, the planned improvements uh, for the place because I really, I really can't wait to get back there and, and see all the improvements um, that he's made to the facility. Uh, but when I think about Indy 500s, the, the one that always instantly comes to mind as, as one of my favorites was, was one that I actually watched on television I didn't attend, and that was in 1991. Um, this we saw in this race, we saw an epic battle between um, two of the greatest talents of the cart era, and that was Michael Andretti and Rick Mears. Um, at, at the end, it, it was Mears who came out on top. Admittedly, I was a little torn with the result because I I, I, I liked Mears and respected Mears a lot, and I thought it was really neat that he became a four-time winner. But also, I was a huge Michael Andretti fan. Um, and, and I still am. Michael was uh, Michael was my top guy back then, and, and he still is. I still root for his team. Um, and I've I've really followed Michael's career since he was racing Formula Fords, uh, which was the first time I met him at Pocono back in uh, 80, 80, 81 or 82. Uh, so I was really hoping to, for Michael to win that one. But at the same time, you know, I knew Rick Rick's career was on the – the, the waning end, and, and Michaels were just getting going, and I figured Michael would have plenty of time to win a couple Indy 500s. Um, I just didn't realize at the time that they would be much later than they would be as the team owner. Uh, but anyway, the, the, the excitement at the last was like it was an edge-of-your-seat battle. We saw uh, after restart, Michael came and passed Mears on the outside of the turn, and, and the commentators there, which I believe were uh, Jim McKay um, at the time and um, Paul Page, uh, we're saying, you can't do that. That's an impossible move. And Andretti pulled it off. And then a few laps later, Mears repeats the same move on Michael. And it was edgy, edgy seat from then. And just I always just remembered 91 as just being a really exciting race. So um, so there there you go. I'll start with that. You guys want to talk about that one a bit too? Uh, Paige, Posey, and Bobby. Okay. That's probably right. Yep. Yeah, I was gonna say. Mc- yeah, yeah, it's, it's Paul Page. I remember saying the. Um, yeah, you can't. Uh, you can't make that move. Yeah, McKay was a little earlier. Yeah, McKay's last 500 as a playmaker was 85. Then Lampley did the two years, and then it was Page from 88 to 04, and vice versa. What the, with the other time period with Bob Jenkins. But anyways, a little bit of the 91. Us also, of course, where all the Andrettis ran: Michael, Mario, John, and Jeff Andretti. So that was a historical landmark, and of course Willie T. Ribs' 500, his own his rookie campaign. So there were so many storylines that added to that that people that really have are passionate about the history of the 500 remember. But that one it gets a little bit glossed over because obviously the very next year it had all the all the drama, all the photo footage. But the battle between Mears and Michael. That's a, that was just brilliant stuff, and that's you could say American Open Wheel Racing at its finest at that time period, no doubt. Yeah, we didn't see tons of battles with with Michael and Rick um, head to head. You know, it's like, like certain. You know, it's like it's like I always like it's like this day and age. We've never seen uh, in the current era uh, a title battle between Will Power and Scott Dixon. You know, and and those are the, the two top guys of the, the current era yeah. has won the most races. So so, so we, we didn't see tons of battles with, with just Michael against Rick, and this was one of them, and it was one of them for the ages. And I just really just remember that one so well. And it was it was a few years later, um, in 94, that I was able to attend my first 500. And uh, that, was another, that was another pretty good race. But I'll let you, you guys throw one out. Uh, for mine, 
I go back to to a class to a mid two thousands one, and I say like within ninety one, I think I I recently rewatched the two thousand sixteen five hundred, which was the third five hundred I've watched, and that one was quite interesting. It has personal value because I was in middle school, and that one really drew interest for me just. Because of it was Michael's return, it was Allister Jr.'s comeback as well. Another comeback because I don't know how many Indy 500 comebacks he had, like two or three of them. I've lost count. But just the battle between the talk about the telecast, it was like, will Sam Hornish win the Indianapolis 500? Can he pull it off? Can he give Penske that win? That's the only thing he has left in his IRL table is to win the Indianapolis 500. And then there's also Danica Patrick's second 500, and also the debut of Marco Andretti. All of them kind of factored into the storyline and just how the race played out. But at one point, it looked like it was going to be Dan Weldon or 500 to lose. And then a couple blocks and a pin misuse and just strategy all over the place, like any any 500 would have, boiled it down to Michael Andretti suddenly all was in the race lead. And then it was at, one, at that one moment, I was thinking to myself as a kid, as a young teenager, I was rooting for Michael to win that fire. I was thinking that would be something for him to win the 500. And then when Marco took the lead, I was thinking, he's, I think he's got it. And then, nope, out of nowhere, with a great run. He had a great drafting run. Sam Horace, Sam Horace Jr. snookered in by Andre and he got the win. And it's like, that, that moment I realized, at that moment I realized, there's something about the Indianapolis 500 that I got to go something. I got to go. Fingers crossed that this year is the year. But <laughs> Yeah. So let me let me tell you my story about uh, 06 because uh, I um, – where I sit at the 500 because, you know, I, I yeah, usually spend most of my weekend in the media center. But I do hold on to race tickets because I prefer to watch the race from – uh, the stands with fans uh, and, and partake in that excitement. And I've had the same seats for, oh, God, for years. Um, and my seats are in the J stand, which is comes out of uh, coming out of turn four onto the front straight. And I've got a really good view. I can see quite a bit of the back stretch, all of turn three, all of turn four, and most of the front stretch almost to the finish line, right? So I, I, I can't quite see the finish line by, by, you know, leaning forward and peering down. And so on that last, I mean, to give you perspective where my seat is, if you remember 2011, right where um, uh, where Hildebrand crashed, that's like right where my seats are, right there, coming out of turn four. Um, and, I, and I'm way up high, uh, one row from the top. So I, on that last lap, I was sure that Marco had won the race. And, and I was screaming and cheering, Marco won, Marco won. And then the dude that sits behind me took his hat off and smacked me in the back of the head with his hat <laughs> and drew my attention to the Jumbotron because I wasn't looking at it to say Hornish one. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> I thought Marco had broke the curse. Uh, but that was a, definitely a thrilling Indy 500 there. And, and that's, you know, again, like you said earlier, the 91 doesn't always get mentioned in the, the, the most exciting ones because people always tend to that that photo finish you know they want to look at uh, uh you know the 92 and um or 82 
with uh, John Cock and Mears, and 92 with, with um, Scott Goodyear and Lil Al, and then 2006. They like those photo finishes. And you can have the most boring race in the world leading up to that, you know. Because if, if you recall the 92 race, it was pretty much Michael led all the laps. And, um, you know, it, I, a matter of fact, I think uh, Al Jr. was two laps down at one point in time, um, you know, before Michael had his mechanical difficulties. Um, so, I mean, again, that race was a stinker right up to the end, but everyone remembers that as one of the greatest ever. A stinker and also an attrition slash injury fest for the, uh, that 92 yeah. race. Yeah, that's the one where we had the very cold track temperatures and it seemingly we couldn't um, – that, you know, couldn't stay green for more than a couple of laps before uh, somebody would crash. And then uh, the, the the other story is they said that's, you know, the darkest day for the Andretti's because you had uh, Mario and um, Jeff both ended up in the hospital after crashes or they're in the infield care center in hospital beds. And they said, well, at least on the bright side, it looks like Michael's going to win this one. And, and then, you know, Michael had the heartbreak with 11 laps to go. So um, pretty, pretty bad day. All around for the Andretti family. Uh, now, 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 Richard, you enjoy watching the Indy 500 a time and again, don't you? <laughs> oh, I do, yeah. I do, I do, I do. Um, I'm sure you've got one you'd like to add to the discussion. I think it would, uh, I think there's two, really. I think you look for now. Uh, don't quote me on the dates. You guys are far better at your dates on these sort of things than I am. But, uh, you know, the one where uh, my old buddy Takuma had a go at Dario on the last lap and span out when he yeah, could have won. Two, 2012. 12, yeah. And then, of course, fast forward to 17 or 16 when he won. And Takuma Plus, won. Uh, 17. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, uh, so that was, uh, I was actually down at Charlotte for the 600. I was, I was, we, were, I, we were watching the um, pre-race. Uh, who, God, who was it? Leonard Skinner were playing on the infield at, uh, at Charlotte. We were watching that. And... Uh, well, everybody was watching that. I was watching the big screen at Charlotte where they had uh, the 500 on. And, uh, of course, that's when uh, uh, Takuma won. So I was, uh, yeah, pretty excited about that one. Yeah, yeah. And, and you've, uh, as, as we've told our, our listeners before, to remind you that uh, Richard and Takuma used to work together. You were his uh, one of yeah, his yeah. engineers uh, when he was uh, driving in Formula 1 for Honda. Yep. So, And, again, I'm a big Takuma fan as well. And interestingly enough, I became a Takuma fan back when he was still running for KV Racing at the time um, when he was driving the Lotus Lotus Colors. It wasn't a Lotus engine, uh, but the Lotus Colors, the green and green and uh, British racing green and yellow. And for some reason, I, I just I kind of got drawn into the excitement that his fans hold for him because there's a, a whole section that's not far from where I sit, and it's a whole section of a Takuma Sato fans, right? And and they are fanatic. They're all they're all Japanese American, but they they all will dress decked out head to toe in Takuma Sato gear. They're all wearing the you know the the, the green and yellow. And then a few years later, when he's driving for foot, they're all wearing the ABC colors. But their their passion and enthusiasm was so intoxicating, right? Watching them cheer for Takuma that I started to pay attention to Takuma. And I became a big Takuma fan. And then when he, I thought he was going to win that one in 2012 before him and Dario had that little tangle in uh, in turn two. Um, but uh, I, I was so pleased to see him win a few years later with Michael's team there and, and really kind of uh, redeem himself. Because he gets a bit of a bad rap, 
you know, <laughs> we don't have to remind you that he gets a bit of a, a bad rap for his no attack, no chance. But, yeah, I, he's uh, certainly one of the most exciting drivers to watch, and he really knows his way around Indianapolis. He really does. I mean, this, that, that 17 win was not luck that fell into his lap because oh, no. Alonzo oh, no. dropped out. He, he earned that one. And the pass he put on Elio with a few laps to go was brilliant. And Asado, he's, of course, like, it goes back to the BAR days. And I think after that podium in Indianapolis at the Grand Prix, sure, it's backwards and whatnot. I said, I said to myself, when he won in 2017, I said, it's coming full circle for for him. So I was definitely ecstatic for for him winning that winning that one. And I think once we get back going, it'll be interesting how he'll yeah, I, I think I won't be too surprised if he puts stuff in an excellent spot. He could be a multi-time 500 champion. Who knows? Time will tell, of course. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the he seems to gel really well with the Ray Hall team. Well, when you consider he's he's been he's won three races for them. He's won three more races than Graham Ray Hall has in the same time since he's joined that team. Uh, he seems to really get on well with, with Graham, with Bobby, and, and with the engineers. Um, and they've got a really good and, – and if you recall, it was in the Ray Hall, Ray Hall car in 2012 when he nearly won the 500 the first time. So he's got a good relationship with the team, and he had, had a great – I mean, if it weren't for that stupid accident in the pits at Texas last year that, that kind of marred his you know season, yeah. um, he would have he probably finished, you know – a little a bit higher in the points. He could have could have even contended uh, for the championship. I could have been right up there, and I remember I saw that firsthand. I at the at the, at the front stretch, and I looked, took a quick glance. It's like, yep, that yep, that's not good for Sutter because he was he was there. I think he did he controlled the race. He was he like the do, the dominant car yeah. at the start of yeah. Yeah, he was he 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 let he won the pole. pole yeah. He won a pole, and he was leading handily, but he just he got into the pits way too hot. Uh, you know, got too close to the wall, squeezed, you know, squeezed his old guys there. I, I think one crewman may have been injured. Um, so, and it was just it was just a wreck. Yeah. It just train wrecked his whole race right there on, on the first sequence of pit stops. So, uh, again, a, a mistake that's all on Takuma. Uh, but, but, but again, you know, this just – if you look at uh, – how well he was running prior to that. And then he came back and won at Gateway. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of, uh, you know, redeemed himself. Well, it was, it was po- they, they they tried to blame him for starting the accident at Pocono. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then um, and then that, and that's where he was, Takumo felt the need to defend himself and put the, uh, put the video out there that showed you know, all the way from from the pit in that he didn't turn into anybody. So, and I, I feel yep. like he, he was kind of a, a you know called to uh, the he was, Yeah, who was it? Paul Tracy was like just destroying the guy, wasn't he? Which I thought was yeah, yeah, really bad for a guy of Paul Tracy's standing. I thought that was pretty off. Yeah, the, the, you, and can you blame Graham Rahal being done and over with? He didn't want to talk about it at at, at the presser at Gateway. He was not he was not having. He pretty much said, you know, he's done. He's discuss about he's moved on pretty much standing with he was with Sato he was like of course he was kind of like backing his team and he felt like he doesn't need to say it they saw these people seeing the video they have their take I'm just ready to move on yeah I thought it was uh, I thought it was terrible what the uh, the media did within there I thought that was uh, massively out of order 
Oh, yeah, and they were talking about, though, that people were calling for his head on a platter or, you know, uh, at the very least, suspend him for a couple races. And, and, yeah, I think he was really, you know, treated a bit unfairly there. But, 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 but good on him coming back at Gateway and winning and saying, look, that's the way you do it. Yep. Yeah. Play, play your guitar on the MTV. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, I got that reference, but... <laughs> Yeah, so but there are a lot of Indy 500s um, that can be talked about. I was, uh, I, you know, I, I've written extensive articles about. I, I did an article a couple of years ago um, called "99 Races, 99 Problems," and I had gone through each and every Indy 500 from the first through the 99th, um, and and picked one hard luck story out of each race. And you can find that on if you search "99 Races, 99 Problems." On MotorsportsTribune.com, um, there there are just a lot of really interesting hard luck stories uh, out there, and, and some of them involve the same people over and over again. Uh, you know, Ralph De Palma uh, was one of the guys who was who was snake bit at Indy. Uh, Michael Andretti, of course, um, Scott Goodyear. Um, so let's let's talk about Scott Goodyear a little bit, and because here's a guy who realistically. Could have won the Indianapolis 500 three times. Uh, the first one being in '92 when he was involved in that epic battle um, with uh, Little Al, and he was uh, trying to make a move. You know, if everyone everyone remembers the uh, the play-by-play. You know, here they come. The white flag is out. Goodyear makes a move. Little Al wins it by just a few tenths of a second. You know, and uh, that that race put Goodyear into the spotlight. And um, uh, you know, it kind of kind of put the put the put the cameras on him for a while as a pretty good driver. He hadn't won anything up to that point, you know. In the in in later years, he ended up winning a couple of races at Michigan, um, you know, proving his worth. And then then in the later years, he uh, it won, won a couple of races uh, when he moved over to the IRL with the Panther team. Um, but the the one that got the next one that got away for him was the '95 Indy 500. And here's a race that he should have won handily. It would have been Honda's first win in a in a in a while or ever. Might have been Honda's first win ever at the 500, uh, but it, it wasn't to be. It would have been the first win for Firestone in quite a long time after uh, years of the, the Goodyear Eagles dominating. Uh, but uh, here's here's Goodyear with a good a good lead, um, right in position to win on the final. You know, a late caution, the final restart, and um, the pace car seems pretty slow on the the lap going to the green. Um, Goodyear roars right around the pace car, passes the pace car before they're in turn four. Um, Villeneuve almost follows him through, checks up, stays behind the pace car, and everyone's like, "What is he doing?" Um, and then, of course, he goes on. He stays on the track. They black flag him, uh, but he, but he, you know, he stays on the track. He, he figures at this point, you know, to come in to serve a black flag will certainly throw away the race. Uh, if he stays there and and crosses the finish line first, at least then maybe they can protest uh, that the pace car was too slow, uh, which was their plan. So he stays on track, actually crosses the finish line first, but they stop scoring him after lap 197. Uh, Villeneuve has declared the winner, uh, and again, you know, Scott Goodyear is forever known as the guy that passed the pace car. 
uh, just really stupid mistake uh, to make. And and he really he doesn't talk about it much. If you if you engage him in conversation, uh, you know, even if you get a couple drinks in him, <laughs> he doesn't like to to talk about that one an awful lot. He'll talk to you a lot about the uh, the Al Jr. one, um, and then. Then it was, I believe it was 97, uh, where we had just some really shoddy officiating. Yeah. The left. With, uh, they, 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 I believe they expected to finish under yellow. Everyone thought they were going to finish under yellow. And then we, with no warning, they, they threw the green on the, on like the last lap, uh, without bothering to tell the drivers, hey, we're going green. Uh, so, so Goodyear was kind of caught out by not being prepared, so he wasn't able to mount mount a challenge against Lion Dyke, and Lion Dyke ran away with that one. But had they, you know, gone through the proper protocol, and let the drivers know, okay, you know, one to go, we're gonna go green next lap. They, they had expected to finish under yellow, and then just, boom, green flag. I'm like what? So he kind of caught him out. So that's that's the third one that got away from Scott Goodyear. So, um, yeah. So then he spent the next several years hanging out with Eddie Cheever. Um, in the broadcast booth, Cheever can continually remind him that uh, he actually won one of these. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that ninety-seven, ninety-eight was a weird time period. When you think about, if it wasn't for Cheever reminding everyone he won ninety-eight, but people remember that five hundred, honestly, because ninety-seven it was just a big mess with officiating and everything. Ninety-six was. Obviously, the first race of the split, the buddy this yeah, year. People, yeah, people trip. remember 96 because of the first year of the split. Yeah. The, 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 the next three, right, 97, right, which was what Blind Dyke won. 98 was Cheever's win. 99 is the year that Robbie Gordon should have won and ran out of fuel on the last lap and handed the win to Kenny Brack. Yeah. Right, and then, then, then starting in 2000, 2000 is when Chip Ganassi brought his team back, um, you know, destroyed uh, – the whole field with Montoya, and then from then on, it was a exodus of the old cart uh, teams yeah. returning. So you've got those you know, 96 through 99 that are kind of, you know, some people, any, any hardcore cart fan will tell you there ought to be an asterisk next to one of those, which, which I disagree with. I mean, all the cars that were in that race were... Were, were, were entered, qualified properly. You know, if, if the, the, the car guys wanted to be in there, they could have, you know. Yeah. So. they they If they had they had their minds clear, they could. They should have just, as Robin Miller once said, if they should have entered Walt Disney World, they should have entered Phoenix, whooped their, you know, whooped their rear ends, and then they would have had the spots at the 500. Then we would have seen a Vassar, a Sonardi, a Greg Moore run the 500. So who knows how the time capsule the time period would have been dipped because 96 is the zero turnaround 97 was the bad officiate 98 there's not much to remember other than just cheaper one and then kenny breck taking a win from robbie gordon and then the aj yeah, can, can you even name the irl champions from that era let's see 96 you know what i mean i, I think I, I think greg ray won one yeah, right greg ray um, buddy lazier lazier won one in 2000 yeah, Scott Sharp and Buzz Coggins split the first one, right? Then it was yep. Tony Stewart, right? Mm-hmm. See, then it's all a blur. I think I, <laughs> I think Brack was ninety. Brack was ninety eight, if I remember. Brack, yeah, Brack was ninety eight. Then I guess Greg Ray won in ninety nine, and then yep. um, Buddy Lazier won in two thousand. Yeah. Yeah, because Greg yeah. Ray carried the number one in two thousand, and it was one of yes, the worst yep. years for anyone that carried that number. Please, 
which also is an article that you'll find on the Motorsports Tribune, the history of the number one plate since 1996. Okay, is that one you wrote? Yep. Is that an article that you wrote? Yeah. yeah. I'll have to look that one up. You know, I I uh I find stuff like that quite interesting. I actually I actually wrote an article one time, and I don't know if you can still find it on the internet, but it was uh the, the, it was all about cars with the number twenty seven. Huh. And really, it was yeah. The article was, I think it was called um the the how race cars get their numbers and why I love the number twenty seven. Something weird like that. You just but, a big Paul Menard fan, aren't you? Uh, <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, yeah, don't, don't worry about the fact that, you know, Alan Jones ran, ran a 27 and Villeneuve yeah, and Senna and Mario at one point and Jimmy, or Jimmy Spencer. John Alacy. I've got a, I've got a, I've got a giant injection molding one quarter size, um, McDonald's NASCAR. Number twenty-seven, Jimmy Spencer car on my wall. I was it was gifted to me years ago. It's one of my it's one of my favorites, memorabilia pieces. I believe so. the Hulkster did draw twenty-seven, if I remember. Yeah, oh, Hulk, yeah, Hulkenberg was twenty-seven. Yep, yeah. yep. So, but it is a, a, you know, but in the whole article, I go through how, um, what the, what system the different series used to number cars, you know, and how it's changed over the years. Because if if you look at the the Formula One, in the early days, they would number cars. Based on the entry, mm-hmm. uh, based on the time the entry was received at the track, so you would have a different number every race. You, you, you'd show up at the race, you'd get your number, you'd, you'd slap the sticker on the car. That's what most of the cars, they had the big white circle, and then they just put the number in there. So you'd have a different number. If you look at, uh, you know, like, and that, that went through, I think, believe, 74. Then I think it was after, in 74, they started with the champion gets number one, and then they had team numbers for the rest of the guys. Uh, you know, and then in in the kart series, they used to the guys' numbers one through twelve would change every year based on a championship. But if you won the Indy 500, you could run the one at Indy, even if somebody else was running the one during the season. They'd have to take a different number. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was really kind of there was some structure to it, but no structure at the same time because you were supposed to be numbered, you know, one through twelve based on your based on your finish in the championship, unless you wanted a different number, <laughs> yeah, then you could pick a different number or trade one. Yeah. So it really, there really wasn't a whole lot of rhyme or reason to it, but then they eventually, then they have, everyone eventually went to the NASCAR model and said, hey, let's have a, a number that stays with the team. This way you can sell the, 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 you know, the merchandise and it's good for, you know, you uh, associate a guy with a number. It worked you for Churro quite well, since they never had to chase the number. Yeah, yeah. Well, three and four. Yeah. Well, they yeah. they they well they, they got they got three and they they got three and four in the '74 season. Yeah. Uh, because Lotus got one and two, even though Tyrrell had won the championship. But because Jackie Stewart retired, they gave the number one and two to Lotus, who had won the constructors' championship, and that was the first year for a champion gets number one. But it went to the constructor then. Then later, once because you know Stewart retired the year mm-hmm. they were going to do that, and so then they they reverted to doing the driver. Then, if you recall, where we had a few years where the driver um, vacated the series right after winning the championship, and then poor old Damon Hill got stuck yep. running number number zero for two yeah. three I think years. Three years he had to run number zero because first Mansell left, and then. 
Prost left. <laughs> and then finally Damon Hill says, let me just win this thing so I cannot run the number zero. So, and it, it never looked call, so good on an on a arrow, did it, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah didn't, they, didn't they call Damon Zero the hero? Something like that, yeah. Something like that, named him after the Black Sabbath song, yeah. So, yeah, it didn't look good on didn't look good on David having a arrows number one, much less Pedro Jadis at a number two. Yeah, especially when they almost didn't qualify. So here's an okay, here's an interesting um, tidbit. Since we're way off topic anyway, right? So recently, so the Formula One model right now for numbering the cars is every driver picks their own number. And then they have that number for the duration of their career. Correct? Correct. Yep. Correct. So you've got so you don't have team numbers anymore. Do you know why nobody has the number two? Hmm. Do you know why number number two is the least desirable number in Formula One racing? Did a stoffel drove it? I don't know, it has nothing to do with poop. Oh. Number number oh. two. Number two means your teammate is the world champion. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, so that's why that's why nobody selected the number two. You could talk to everybody. Why did you pick your number? Oh, you know, Ricardo runs number three because he's because he's because he likes Dale Earnhardt. Oddly enough, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, so everyone's got a little reason for the numbers they pick, but nobody wants nobody wants the number two. Unless you're Stoffel Van Dorn. Wasn't he number two? Stoffel Van. Maybe I don't know. He could have been, yeah. But I mean, for when they first gave the numbers out. Nobody took two. Maybe Van Dorn took that, so he didn't didn't realize the the negative connotation. The number two means your teammate is the world champion. So, anyway, but we've got about five minutes left in the show, and we promised we talk about some Coca Cola 600s that were um, memorable as well. So uh, I'll let one of you fellas start. I I honestly haven't watched a lot of Coca Cola 600s. I've, I've you know I've I've seen. Who won them? But but you know because I'm at Indianapolis all day. By the time the 600 rolls around, I'm usually I'm I'm, I'm up for a good nap before the race ends. So uh, you guys chime in with some of your favorite Coke 600s for the next five minutes. You got one, Richard, to start off. Yeah, I mean the one for me would have to be you mentioned it earlier, when Austin Dillon when I was down there, and uh, that was a uh, pretty special uh, special day uh, for for everybody involved in the team there for Austin uh, to get a win there. You know his first. 600 and uh, it was a fuel mileage win but he was up there all race you know the we had the pace in the car and he was running top 10 all all race and uh, yeah he managed to get the job done and uh, fair play to him that was a that was a really you know good 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 weekend for us he could have won the uh, xfinity race the day before as well in fact he should have won it really he uh, just got caught out by some late race restarts that was also the the long rain delay race where oh yeah i mean it was funny because there was a, we actually, uh, I was actually camping out there in the, one of the campgrounds uh, the night of the race, because uh, we stayed down there for the Xfinity race and the uh, Cup race, and uh, yeah, in the middle of the night there was a tornado warning came through, so everybody had to evacuate the campground. Uh, I mean, it was because it was in Cabarrus County, it was the whole county got under a warning, and it was actually the very north end of the county that was uh, where the tornado went. It was quite a long way from where we were, but still they still put everybody under this warning. And, uh, yeah, we had to all sort of run for our lives. And that was a little bit extreme, but uh, we all had to evacuate the campground. So yeah, even then there were, 
So even then, there were some tornadoes. So this year, it's not just a phenomenon in Carolina. No, 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 no. There was a few. I mean, there weren't anything crazy, but uh, there were uh, there were some rotations, as I think they like to call it in the uh, uh, meteorology world. Yeah, mine will go up to 2005. It's just the whole one word to define it: levigation. Levigate. Oh. As a Gordon fan, dreaded it. As a racing fan, it was chaotic. It's just the fact that Michael Walter Padale Jr. bump draft were the year prior. Greg Biffle, Kurt Busch did the same thing. Did it work the first time? No. What dif- what would what difference would it have made this time around? Just because the two more dominant plate guys, as far as from a team perspective, and in my hindsight, not named Jeff Gordon. You see, it was going to work at Charlotte. It was just the culmination of how bad DEI were in 2005 to a T. And if I remember, Terry Labonte got hurt in that instant as well. It was, just, it was just a whole mess. And not just that, Ganassi had a horrible Coke 600. It had a horrible month to make to begin with, where, like, literally, Chip Ganassi arrives, and boom, they all started wrecking and cutting tires, just like most of the field did. And then we ha- the race had 22 cautions. It broke the record, so that intrigued me as a kid. And then Joe Nemechek, if I remember, he was leading, he was about to win the whole darn thing, and then he lost it, and then the- he crashed, brought out the red flag. Believe it or not, it was the only red flag in that 600. Shocker. <laughs> yeah. And then Bobby Labonte, who was driving Jason Leffler's colors because Leffler failed to qualify in an 11, out of nowhere he just decided to show up and had his best race all season. And guess who won? Nothing other than John Cena. <clears throat> excuse me, Jimmy Johnson, Super Jimmy, King of Lows, won that one. So that one just sticks out. But as far as the other 600s, there are a lot of stuff like a Casey Mears winning the 600. Jeff Gordon's only DNF that year. And that top five, if you haven't looked at that top five, it's just beyond insanity. I think like Kyle Petty, J.J. Yaley, Brian Baker's resource were the top five. There's been some good 600s. But those are the ones. Yeah, that 600. The 600 was the side of Jeff Gordon's first win as an NASCAR driver. I do remember that one. Yep. And it was uh, it was a tire strategy, the the two tires instead of four, uh, that that put him in position to win his first race. That you know kicked off a pretty pretty remarkable career. He did all right for himself, um, you know, didn't Jeff he? Gordon. Yeah, he, he did okay. Yeah, yeah. People people have heard of him. He's still around. So. <laughs> um. Who's the is is the six hundred? Is that isn't that the uh, the one race Kyle Busch hasn't won yet? I think he finally won it last year or the Did year he? before. Okay, I was going to say there was a, a time where they said Kyle had won on every track except Charlotte. So I so I guess he's yeah. Uh, he's, so, uh, they, but did, did he win a six hundred? Yeah, it's just. Danny has so not won the six hundred. That's all he has left for as far as the crown jewel. Just the six hundred. Denny Hamlin. Yep. Yeah, his crown jewel needs to be a championship. That's 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 the one he that's the one he's lacking. Yep. You know, he's that's the big <laughs> that's the big one for making him a first ballot or a multi year ballot Hall of Famer. If he gets that yeah. if he gets that championship, first ballot doesn't matter if he ends up ever winning the six hundred. If he wins Yeah, it. yeah, I mean, at the end, at the end of the day, yeah, the um the season championship is a bigger a bigger nugget on your resume. Um you know, unlike in uh like IndyCar racing where the, the Indy five hundred trumps the championship on your resume so but anyway we are out of time so i want to thank you 
Um, Richard and thank you, Louise. I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network and thank iHeartRadio, Speaker, and Google Podcasts. And I want to thank you folks who listened to us. I hope you've enjoyed uh, tonight's show, and we'll be back next week and, and pretty soon. Before you know it, we'll have real races to talk about as uh, NASCAR is going to run a couple races um, at Darlington. So uh, we're looking forward to that. Uh, but till then, good night. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 